Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 256. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined by the interwebs by Cody J. Safdie. Coming off of a pretty solid card for you. Banging out, what was it? The I mean, there was a bunch of late late uh, cancellations and stuff, but I think you got to like the seven-legger cashed on uh, Saturday for all the people to make the monies. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, there's only end up being eight fights on the card. So we went seven and one. Obviously got the first fight of the card wrong, which is Jean Vellante versus Jake Collier. But outside of that, got seven straight. So good way to cap it off. And then we hit all the way up to our first stage, stage two, and then stage three was a 10 to one. So yeah, I mean, everybody's happy with that. Hopefully we can keep the momentum going. It's the holiday season. Obviously we're in the mood of giving, giving back to everybody. And uh, yeah, who doesn't like a little extra jingle in their pocket this time of year? So if we can keep hitting these parlays, keep hitting these bets, Keep things cruising into the new year. I think we'll all be very happy. And uh, and also, I, myself, am also very happy because one Paul Shaughnessy took, in my opinion, a bum bet. Bum bet on OSP. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, Paul, because it was a bum bet to begin with. However, you're a sharp guy. You're a smart guy. And I know, I know, had you seen OSP get on the scale at that one and a half pounds over, you would have bailed right away. Because here's OSP, a guy that has 23 UFC fights and has never missed weight. Here's a guy that makes $100,000 to show. So 20% of his purse is 20 grand. Who's giving that up? Over a pound and a half. You would have known right then and there that this guy was cooked. And you would have bailed. And uh, unfortunately, we did the show on Wednesday. So I got you with one uh, old shoey bet. But uh, yeah, next week's what? I think last card of the year. So I'll be in studio next week. And we can have a, a festive Christmas episode. Well, Cody. Um, yeah, well, basically with OSP, you know, me watching the weigh-ins and stuff. The real dead giveaway there was coming in first, weighing in a pound and a half over and being like, no mas. And no, we're not waiting until next week. This beer will be so warm. There's so many lights here. We got the beer. We got, we got this grimy ass boot. I mean, it's starting to get into winter time here. So like, I'm going to have to start wearing this boot again. I'm gonna need to find. Two. I'm gonna need um, to find another another drinking boot or another wearing boot. I don't know, but it, I, I ended up getting onto your parlays. I wouldn't have liked to get onto your parlays because you had Hill in the first leg, um, and you know if OSP weighed in properly, all of that type of stuff, this wouldn't be happening. But I ended up tailing your parlays, making the bucks. So I've never been happier, Cody, to be drinking this out of a boot. That was a pretty bad pour. There's lots of foam here. This could be problematic but yeah once we get this out of the way we will uh get right into the action here yeah i've come to realize it's all in the pour because you get it too foamy then you can't chug it like anything it's just too hard to chug back um if you get a nice smooth pour it's still difficult see i can tell you struggled a little more with that one than the last one Hey, buddy, getting it down. Trying to talk and pour at the same time into that boot. There's weird shit going on in that boot. Like, things got... I got a shiver just thinking about that grimy-ass boot, too. Things got gross, but I've never been so happy to drink out of that filthy, filthy boot. Let's get into the main event here. We got Davison, Davison Figueredo taking on... Brandon Moreno, Davidson Figueredo, minus 300 favorite. Moreno can be had for plus 250. We only saw these guys fight, what, like two weeks ago? I mean, Davidson Figueredo right now, there's really 
not many holes to poke in the guy's game. He's got the grappling. He's got more power than anybody at 125 pounds than, frankly, I think we've ever seen. He is a problem with a capital P for just about anyone. Um, Minus 300 is obviously a wide price to take in this spot, but... I don't know. Are you are you fading the uh, what is it? The God of War? What's his nickname here? Yeah, he's. Uh, well, I think officially they got it as Boostagetta, which is God of War. Yeah, so the God of War. Um, I mean, where the grappling's on point. That's like the transition that he pulled off against Alex Perez was just pure filth. Like. I mean, this guy's the the full package, and he goes in there at, like, 145 pounds. The only big question that we have is he's a guy who's struggled to make weight in the past, and this is a really, really quick turnaround. Maybe, just maybe the the weigh-ins on Friday, he has a big problem again. I don't know, but he the guy seems to have every single possible tool in his shed. Brandon Moreto's a tough opponent, a game opponent, good grappler, good striking. They all are at the top of the 125-pound division. But it's hard to get away from Davison. I think the only reason why this isn't up to minus 400 right now is probably because he fought so recently. We know that he struggles with the weigh-ins, and the weigh-ins haven't happened. But I expect it to kind of grow. What about you? Yeah, I don't know if I expect it to grow. I think three to one's pretty much uh, is a good enough price tag on its own. You know what? Low key, I didn't think anybody would be talking about it, but you just nailed it not that long ago. Is that like those back to back weight cuts for Davidson is something that definitely makes you think? Because yeah, dude, guy's absolute monster. He's a huge, huge individual. We've seen him miss weight in the first jo- uh, Joseph Benavides fight, and it's a title fight. So for him to come in at like one twenty seven and a half, you know, it's a bad weight cut. When Dana White was originally gonna abolish the entire flyweight division he was like that one guy everyone was like don't worry move him to bantamweight. weight he'll be fine he's a big guy so for him to come in there make weight look good against alex perez get paid get a bonus money in his pocket then for the ufc to come back and get him to now cut the weight all over again you know it's crazy it's crazy but i mean we're, it's a crazy time right now you you they were going to get rid of the flyweights they say nobody cares about the flyweights and now the only thing um, imagine paying for a davidson davidson figueredo pay-per-view and then the only thing worse is paying for two Davidson Figueredo pay-per-views in like a four-week span. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. But honestly, I think the bet you make in this is that uh, Fight Starts Round 3. Fight Starts Round 3 was, I think, listed at minus... It's minus 110. And the over 2.5 is plus 110. Mm-hmm. And so Brandon Moreno's 18-5. and five. Now, here's the thing with Brandon Moreno is that he's so unbelievably durable. He's never been finished, Right. He's got a cast iron chin. We've seen him in there. He's been popped many of times. I always make the joke, you know, Mexican heritage, very hard to knock these guys out. And I mean, it's fact. He's got a cast iron chin. As far as the submission game goes, he was submitted one time on the Ultimate Fighter by Alexander Pantoja. And you remember the storyline there. You know, the kid's 16 seeded on, this, on the season, taking on the number one seeded guy in Pantoja. Gives him hell in that first round and then succumbs to a rear naked choke. He's young. He's green. He's making improvements. Since then, he's been there with really good grapplers. Pantoja, again, guys like Dustin Ortiz, guys like uh you know basically like for me you know basically the best guys the best grapplers that he can go in there with and he just scrambles 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 can't get submitted not getting knocked out mm-hmm. so Davidson Figueredo one thing you have to realize about him is that he's someone that has in 20 pro victories has 17 finishes he relies on the finish a lot either he knocks you out or like you saw in the Alex Perez fight maybe he snatches up that neck with that guillotine choke but he likes to finish guys now everyone always questions his cardio well what if you extend this guy we've seen him in fights fatigue but because his last run of fights haven't been going deep into the fight, he's been icing these guys out in a round or two, 
there's kind of that growing perception that's just like, ah, oh, don't worry, his cardio is fine because it's not going to go there. But anything with Moreno suggests young, hungry challenger, mm-hmm. never been finished, ultra motivated, also just fought, smashed the guy, motivations on his side. I would say as far as plus money tags goes, Brandon Moreno doesn't look like the worst underdog in the world. Everybody loves Davidson right now. Everybody's talking about Davidson right now. He's got the skills everywhere. He's got this, he's got this, he's got that. If, if you like Davidson, that's fine. But do you see Davidson going out there knocking out Brandon Moreno inside of two rounds? Like, I don't know. Moreno never been knocked out. Again, very cast iron. Uh, does he go out there and submit Moreno inside of two rounds? Jeez, I don't know. You know, the Moreno haters. never been, been there with good grapplers. So if the fight just goes to the third round, you're getting nearly even money there. So I'm looking at over, over two and a half, fight to start round three, and maybe a little sprinkle on Brandon Moreno, truth be told. Ooh. Well, I would I'd probably wait. I think that line's going to grow on Davidson Figueroa. Wait, wait until a little bit later in the week. I don't expect it to get less than three to one. But uh, the haters are no, going to... When you said that uh, that he smashed Brandon Royval last time out, uh, the haters are going to come after you because that was a shoulder injury. Not that he did that to uh, Brandon... Or that he did that to Brandon Royval in that spot. And, uh, and also, I saw a doctor as well. Somebody was uh, commenting about us talking about that fight recently and uh and yeah just like just because they popped his shoulder back in doesn't mean that he was gonna be able to go out and fight fight effectively after that point like i'm sure brandon royvel's still feeling worse for wear uh from that uh from that sequence so i I like where your head's at here over over two and a half rounds, fight starts around three. Both seem like uh, pretty decent. Davison's been running, but let's call a spade a spade. This is still the flyweight division. Most of the fights historically do go over that number. It's just we're dealt with a kind of a different beast here, and the price indicates that. But you're right, Brandon Moreno is about as tough as they come. I think we've got about all we've got to say about this one. Let's move on to the next fight. We've got Tony Ferguson taking on Charles Dobronx Oliveira. Ferguson, a minus one sixty-five favorite. Oliveira can be had for plus one forty-five. Uh, Tony Ferguson earlier, what like end of November, this price was like minus one twenty-five. I was thinking about hitting it at that point. Unfortunately, I didn't. It keep, continues to grow, but you know Ferguson obviously got battered about as bad as you can get battered against Justin Gaethje in that fight or in his last time out. Oliveira rewatching his last fight out there. I mean, it was a lot of guard pulling against Kevin Lee. His hands did look better. He was he was landing significant strikes and all of that. But if he can't get a submission against Tony Ferguson, I feel like he just gets pieced up on volume against against Ferguson, right? Like if he like because I is he gonna submit? His jujitsu is so crafty, so good that maybe he can just submit anyone. But there's a reason why Tony doesn't get finished that way. It's just his grappling is on point. His wrestling is on point. I uh, unless he like unless Charles Dobronx Oliveira like grabs his back. I don't know. I, I feel like this is Ferguson's fight to lose. He's kind of at least on par in just about everything in the grappling department and from a striking perspective, like. The volume and the, the the rate and the creativity is just on another level. So Ferguson, for me, what about you? Okay, so I'm down with Ferguson. I think he's got the skill set to win. The real question for me is, is Tony 
Ferguson washed. Like, even though it's just one loss, and even though it's a loss at the highest level to Justin Gaethje, one has to wonder, like, it was bound to catch up with him. And now anybody going forward has that ability to potentially catch this guy. Like, we thought that he, similar to the last fight we just talked about, you're cast iron, you can't get submitted, you can't get knocked out. And Tony Ferguson very much fell into that category. Who's knocking out Tony Ferguson? Nobody. I mean, this guy's got a great chin. He's been hurt. He recovers. As far as the submission game goes, yeah, Eddie Bravo, BJJ Blackbell. You know, he's so crafty, so dynamic. You know, a guy that wrestled in college. He's the complete package. But he's 36 years old. He's taken a lot of damage. He's had a lot of injuries. And you just go back to, say, the Edson Barbosa fight, right? Where the first round, it's like, oh, man, Tony took a lot of damage. But he comes back and he gets that win. Then he takes on short notice up-and-comer Lando Venata. Nobody had really heard of him. And Lando Venata drops him twice in the first round. Oh, my God, Tony Ferguson. But he comes back and he wins. Then the Kevin Lee fight. First round, Kevin Lee mounts Tony Ferguson. He's raining down punishment. Round ends. Everyone's saying, oh, geez, maybe saved by the bell. Not saved by the bell, but you know, get what I'm saying. He's mounted at the end of the first round. And Kevin Lee had a staph infection, by the way, in that fight. The, the Anthony Pettis fight right after. Oh, my God. Tony Ferguson dropped in the first round by Anthony Pettis. He's on wobbly legs again. Like, dude, it's all damage. It's just like... It's adding up. And then Justin Gaethje just completely, he's the guy that puts the nail in the coffin. He's the guy that takes advantage. He's the guy that hurts him early and never lets him off the hook and just keeps putting it on him. And then by the fifth round, you see Tony Ferguson finally crumble. Good stoppage by Herb there. Great stoppage because it's just like so much damage has occurred between that, right? But when you look at the Rafael dos Santos, or you go back and you you just look at his body of work, right? Sorry, we didn't even mention that Rafael dos Santos fight where it's an absolute war, 25 minutes, Mexico City, mile high where he takes a ton of damage. But he generally fights once a year because he pulls out of fights, he gets injuries, falls, fights fall through, fights once a year, fights once a year, fights once a year, right? Now he's coming off seventh-month layoff from the absolute worst beating of his career. Like, is he a little bit slower? Is he a little bit weathered? And when it's not just one opponent's catching you, it's all these opponents are catching him, but he's, over, he's overcoming it, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to get caught by Charles Oliveira because you mentioned grappling's great. But his striking's come a long way. He's got good striking as well. He's got good hooks. He can put damage on you. He can cut you up. He's got good elbows. He's growing into himself. He's got the persona of he's a quitter. You know, we've seen him quit three, four times throughout his career. And if you put it on him, he's going to break. And if that's if that's the, the the case, if that's the MO, Tony Ferguson's going to put it on, right? That that's hasn't what he happened he in three years, frankly, right? Like- exactly. But Charles is kind of shook in that, you know? He's in the prime of his life right now. He's on a great streak. He keeps getting better every time out. And you see those improvements in his striking. You see the improvements in his grappling. You see the improvements, you know, in his, in his heart and his conditioning and all these different variables. So all I'm saying is that it's hard to submit Tony Ferguson, but it'd be a lot easier to submit Tony Ferguson if you could drop him first. You know, capitalize, take advantage, take his back throw in a neck crank, what, you know, whatever happens. If this thing goes five, got to favor Tony Ferguson just because he's, he's still a cardio five. machine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But well, it probably doesn't go five. Because Charles... Because it's a three-round fight. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, my, my bad, my bad. This is honestly the people's main event, though. People would rather see this as the main event than Davidson Figueroa. No offense to Figueroa uh, versus Brandon Moreno. But, um, yeah, people would rather see this. A- anyways, all I'm saying is, Tony's a bit of a slow starter, right? So the advantage is that the longer the fight goes, he can get back into it because he's going to have to overcome that early storm. But if Charles goes out there and puts it on him quick, uh, wins a round, wins a round and a half, maybe wins two rounds or takes him out inside the distance because he's able to bust him up, cut him up, slow him down. Like it's all, I'll admit, it sounds like I'm taking Charles Oliveira, but I'm actually picking Tony Ferguson, but I'm not super confident on it. 
I want to be way more confident. I think the skill set's there. I think, you know, uh, the pressure game's there. I think the striking advantage is there. I think the wrestling is there so that, listen, if Charles pulls guard, Tony doesn't have to fall into the ground, right? Charles shouldn't be able to take down Tony. Tony's got the wrestling advantage. If the fight stays standing, Charles will be able to bust him up in spots early, but Tony wins on volume. It's that, the, like, I got a bad feeling of it's the very first thing I asked you when we start talking about this fight. Is Tony washed? Because if he is, it's like this is the end of the road for him. Charles is a bad guy to be in there with. I mean, the hellacious beating that Gaethje put on him, that was in round five, too. Nobody's as durable as Tony Ferguson. I see that the line for over two and a half rounds is plus 130. Fight goes to decision, plus 165. They open shorter than that, and people have been steaming it. For the most part, actually, that fight goes to decision got up to plus 195 and then bounced back down to plus 135. I mean, if we think that, Char- like, my only real question about whether this gets to three is whether Charles Dobronx is eating, a- is taking on a hellacious beating, and then we see the old Charles Dobronx kind of, like, looks for a way out, Um like he did against Holloway and, and some of the other fights. We think that he's past that, but that's my only concern about that. I'm surprised that we're getting plus money on uh, on over two and a half. I actually see this probably going to decision. I think Tony Ferguson by decision is how I see it playing out based on volume. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that. What do you think about that? You know what? With Charles, he's kind of like a kill or be killed guy. Like, he's going to put it on Tony, and Tony's going to have to meet him and break him, right? So, as far as fight goes the distance, like, I'm not entirely sure about that. Uh, I think that there's going to be two narratives. The narrative A is that Charles, that that quitter, comes back out of him. Tony's just going to finish him at some point inside the distance. Or Charles is over it, and Tony's a little bit worn, and he's able to catch him at some point. I don't know. I think I would avoid fight goes the distance. I think at some point one of these guys might catch the other. Sounds like we're not really betting. I mean, this is it's quite a fight. You don't have to bet every single fight. And this fight is uh, I mean, you can just sit back on your couch and just enjoy the action because it'll be it's awesome. It's a great fight. I wish it was five rounds. And if it was five rounds, I would favor Tony Ferguson quite a bit more. But uh I, I, I see where your head's at on that. Anyway, we move on. We've got uh, Rafael Fazayev taking on Renato Moicano. Minus 155 Fazayev, plus 135 Moicano. Where's your head at on this one? Yeah, okay. So am I reading it wrong? Like, I, I don't understand why Rafael Fazayev is like a considerable amount favorite over Renato Moicano, right? Scratching my head a little bit. So, yeah, dude is striking, is sick. And we all know he does the Matrix and the Sanchai rollback, and he's able to slip out of way of kicks. And he's got a accredited Muay Thai career, and he's the Tiger Muay Thai, one of their striking coaches. Still only 27. He's from Kyrgyzstan, same place as the Shevchenko sisters. Like, all right, perfect. Guy's on a roll. Makes his UFC debut, and... I mean, this is not against him, dude. He takes on Magomed Mustafa, who just happened to catch him with the sweetest spinning wheel kick to the face. Uh, it is what it is. Like, let's, let's not even bother talking about that one, right? But the two wins since then are Alex White and Marquia Casey. Not exactly the most impressive, considering it's Alex White. Not 100% sure if he's still employed with the, com- the company right now. But again, was a total non-contender from the get-go. He looked excellent against Dave Casey, though. Yeah, he looked awesome against the Casey. He looked like, again, still only 27 years old. He's making improvidence. He's starting to get more confident. He's feeling to his own, and he absolutely just obliter- obliterated him with the kicks. Like, his kicks are so strong. 
if you, if you storm in on him, he's going to try to counterpunch you. If you don't storm in on him, you try to stay on the outside, you just, he just keeps kicking away. He had Mark Casey unbelievably gun-shy in that fight. And I kept screaming at Casey, who I had in that spot, why, why not pursue the takedown a little bit more? But Fizeev is a brick shithouse, man. He's got strong hips. He's a strong guy. Uh, he's able to actually eventually take down Mark Casey himself. Cardio seemed to check out. I mean, again, he, he, he looked a little bit fatigued in there, but he's just throwing so much power in his technique. But he went the distance with Alex White, and he went the distance with Mark Casey, mm-hmm. right? So even though he's got this maybe perception currently of just like, oh, man, striking's on another level. He's rolling back like Sanchai. He's killing them with the kicks. It's like it hasn't really translated so far in terms of, of his UFC fights into stopping power, which is going to be interesting because with Hanato McConnell, like you, you better hope you stop him early with something or he's going to throw 100-plus significant strikes on you. And mm-hmm. to me, that's interesting because when he absolutely killed Alex White, killer to post, three rounds, yeah, he only landed 66 significant strikes. And when he beat Mark Casey, oh, man, career best, put on an absolute clinic on him. Again, it's 78 significant strikes. Whereas Hanato Moicano, like, once this guy gets rolling, the Calvin Cater fight, you know, 116, the Brian Ortega fight, 109, the Jeremy Stevens fight was, was, is low end for him, 70 significant strikes landed. Like, he's got better output. He's got a better ground game. If this fight hits the ground, it's advantage Moicano. If this fight stays standing, you would say advantage Fizayev. But still, just based on leg kicks output, Moicano might be able to just keep it competitive enough to eventually tire this guy, force his hand, have a barn burner of a fight, have some exchanges. Now, everyone remembers Hanato Moicano as a 45. Had some nice fights at 145, beat Tahugov, beat Jeremy Stevens, you know, was winning against Brian Ortega, got the win over Calvin Cater. Somewhere along the line... He's just too big to make 45, and you see that, and the weight cuts are hurting him. So he takes mm-hmm. a little bit of time off, and he moves up to 155 versus Demir Hanzevic. That's his first side at 55. People are actually betting, some people, not a ton of people, but people are actually considering, geez, Hanzevic's the real 55-er. we just seen this guy get knocked out in less than a minute against Chang Sung Jung. Maybe Hanzevic's going to catch him, but it's like, no, dude, Moicano on the scales looked thick. He looked filled in. He looked like 55 is where he exactly where he should be. And being only 31 years old, being an ATT, again, I, one of these guys, I say, prime of his career, right in the good spot. And then the last thing I want to throw on that is that the three guys that have defeated Hanato Makano, Brian Ortega, my opinion, probably the best 145er right now, him and Volkanovski, two best guys in the world, but you know what I'm saying. Jose Aldo is going down as one of the goats at 45 of all time, still had a little in the tank, obviously. And Chang Sung Jung, who's been a perennial contender the last decade, a top five guy who's able to catch him, right? Rafael Fazayev is coming off of wins over Alex White and Mark Casey. It's not even the same fucking level, man. It's not even the same league. And so he better hope that he knocks out Moicano quick. Oh, wait. The power hasn't really translated so far into quick UFC stoppages. Mm-hmm. So, like, could I see him winning? Yes. And if this line was flipped, which I think it should be, then I'd be like, ah, you know, maybe Fazaya's got that puncher's chance, and he, he's a plus 135, he's a dog with a chance. But, like, him being the minus 155 favorite, like, it's possible that people that are around him are just, whoa, he's on another level, man. And it's possible that people around Moicano are saying, ah, oh, you know, he's not what he used to be. I, I, I don't know. But if I'm taking it for what it is, do the tape study, check out both guys, check out the performances, check out the man. Hanato uh, Moicano is a live dog, definitely a live dog. And so for that reason, he's going to be my pick. And uh, one of the dog picks this week. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think kind of feel like I was kind of surprised. Mogano did open as like a minus 135 favorite, and then the line is basically flipped the other way. People like themselves some Faziah, but I think it's massive overreaction. Um, I mean, Faziah did look good against Dia Casey. Like the striking was on point. The the kicks to the body were just melting uh, Dia Casey there. But yeah, we got to decision. I mean, if we get if Moicano is able to get to this to the ground, I imagine he should be able to put a clinic in terms of grappling on uh, Faziah. I'm sure he's working. Faziah's working on that as well, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, and I'm I'm on board with you. Uh, Moicano is my pick, and don't didn't really understand the price, which leads us to the next fight. We've got Kevin Holland taking on Ronaldo Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Straight pick him now. Um, what a couple days ago it was minus one seventy plus one fifty. I ended up laying. I've this is where it pays to have multiple accounts at multiple different books. I've got plus one fifties, plus one forty fives, plus one forties. Wrong, wrong, uh, wrong favorite, in my opinion, how they opened it. I didn't really understand it whatsoever. I know that Jacare is coming off of getting uh, coronavirus and had to be pulled off of the car. You watch him on the on the countdown show, and he says that he was asymptomatic. Like there was, he never, you know, he was diagnosed with it. Kind of went back to his garage and just has been training there. Uh, Kevin Holland, obviously, trailblazing to the top. He's had a hell of a year and. Um, you know, put on or put on some good fights, and and he's just always been available. He's kind of like the Donald Cowboy Cerrone of the the pandemic era of the UFC right now, just fighting every single week and all of that. He had it sounds like he was asymptomatic as well. He just was pulled out for having coronavirus as well. But like you go through and you watch like what Darren Stewart fight was like three months ago. He gets taken down three times against Darren Stewart. Um, against uh, Gerald Mearshart. Now, I think he's really improved since that fight, but he got taken down six times. It was super, super sloppy. You make those types of mistakes against Jacare Souza, and you're getting subbed. Uh, I know Souza is 41 years old. The volume isn't quite there, but I feel like if we get one takedown here, uh, that could be all she wrote. Uh, I, I'm still picking at the current price of minus 110, like a straight pick. I'm, I'm still picking Jacare Souza. I kind of think that he wins this fight 70 65 70 maybe even nah, not 80 70 percent of the time so it should be like minus 235 250 i'm surprised by this um i mean jacare's last fight out there he went the dis he went the distance in a was it a five round main event sorry i'm confused here for a second Against Jan Blahovic. Yeah, five-round main event against the current he- light heavyweight champion of the world. He didn't get knocked out there. I mean, if if he doesn't go for a takedown, I guess w- there could be some problems had. But I don't know. Everything I've seen out of, like, creeping Jacare's Instagram, all of that, like, I think this is a really good spot for him. What about you? Yeah, I think it's a decent spot as well. Again, if you could get him as an underdog, then it will most definitely help because then you're banking on, geez, at 41, does Jacques Ray have one more left in the tank? But Kevin Holland fits into this, like, we've, we've seen this now play out a few times over the course of, of the pandemic, right? Uh, we always talk about recency bias, right? So with recency bias, the guy fights often. You're thinking about it. Oh, I just cashed on this guy. Oh, he's my boy. Oh, I just cashed on this guy. Oh, he's my boy. Normally, a fighter fights two, three times a year. So there's not much recency bias if you're fighting every four months. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you fought four months ago. 
But with pandemic times, they're calling on these guys to fight all the time, and they've just become everybody's darling. Now think about the guys that they that have been in these slots are all really limited fighters who've just been the beneficiary of some good matchmaking until they got exposed, right? So look at Bobby Green. Bobby Green's a guy that doesn't fight all that often, right? Pandemic times hits, and all of a sudden, Bobby Green is on a roll. Bobby Green is beating guys up. Bobby Green looks good. Now you have a false sense of Bobby Green's actually good. No, no, no. Goes out there, lays a knife for you. Ah, oh, man, shit is what it is, right? Yusuf Zalal. Yusuf Zalal comes out of left field, pops into the UFC, and fights th three, four times, right? Starts getting these fights in. Oh, man, Yusuf Zalal, you get behind him. All of a sudden, oh, geez, loses as a favorite. Nobody really saw it coming. Brandon Roy Val. Brandon Roy Val's the same thing. Comes out of left field, comes into the UFC, wins a couple of fights. Everybody likes him. All of a sudden, you're thinking, geez, this guy's a live underdog against Brandon Moreno. No, no, not on that level. Because they're fighting so often. Now, Kevin Holland's the same thing. This is his fifth fight this year. And I'll bite, he has fought in not the highest level of competition. I guess Buckley ended up being pretty good. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, he's just been some lower level guys. It's He's been beating them. And he's been cashing tickets. And he's been looking good enough. You'll, you're willing to give him a pass in the Darren Stewart fight because he got the job done. He got the win. The other fights, it's like, you know, you're willing to give him a pass in the Joaquin Buckley fight because, you know, eventually he turned it on in the third round and got that stoppage for you. But he's fought pretty much low-level guys. And so beating them is not that impressive. Like, taking a step up and taking on Jacare is different. With Jacare, he was actually getting ready to take on... Uh, Vittori. Yeah, Marvin Vittori, who just fought in the weekend. And if you gave him the perspective, especially in high insight of one, fighting Marvin Vittori or fighting Kevin Holland. Like, which one are you taking? You're obviously going to fight Kevin Holland. Like, Marvin Vittori is that young stud who's established himself, who you see on paper, it's like, well, where are his flaws? Like, where can I exploit him, right? Whereas Kevin Holland, oh my God, there's flaws everywhere. There's stuff to exploit everywhere. But he's game, and he's got some power, and he's got some heart, and, you know, it, he'll, he'll put you in some bad spots, and he can take advantage. But I got, I, yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think Jacare is savvy enough to, if you give a guy like Jacare, those opportunities, those openings, he's taken at least two of those three rounds, worst case, and that's the decision victory for him. Or best case, again, for Jacare, he's going to sub him. Like, don't let Jacare get on your back, dude. Like, uh, you're in, putting yourself in bad spots. Like, again, remember the Gerald Mearshart fight? Like, Gerald Mearshart's not Ronaldo Jacare Souza. If you put yourself in those spots, you're going to get submitted. It's not going to be good. And at the very least, if Jacare doesn't want to give up position, he's just going to hold you down and control at least a couple of those rounds. So it was live underdog Jacare. Now he's even money. I'm not super confident in it, only because Jacare is 41. He has not looked the same in a long time. Those five-round wars are taking it out of him. But again, you look at, you have to look at strength of competition. And on one hand, you have... Kevin Holland, who's been fighting the Charlie Ontiveros of the world. Yeah, that wasn't you have Jacare Souza, who just lost a split decision in a five-round fight against the current light heavyweight champion of the world. So, you know, it's apples to oranges. And and the last thing is uh, Jacare back down at 185. Like, I'd have to say, wait till you see him on the scales. But he's not that good at 205. Like, 185 is his weight class. But again, at 41, you just don't know how much the weight cut's taken out of him. Three rounds, again, better suited for him than five rounds at this stage. Um but yeah, I, I will take Jacques Rizouz as well. And the last thing I'll add to it, I sent you the picture of it because I was I was asking you like late, <laughs> late on Friday night. I was just like, what? Because I saw the line. I finished up all the work I was doing around here. And I was just like, what on earth is happening here? Watched a little bit of tape. Start digging into like Jacques Ray's camp. I've got a picture here, which I'll throw up on the uh, on the old broadcast. But he's fighting or he's training with this kid like Henan Problema who's like a six foot ten 
uh, heavyweight. Guy's striking looks pretty long and crisp. I mean, if you're hanging out with this guy, training with this guy, maybe this is where he got the aha moment where it's just like Kevin Holland drops out. Like all of the issues that I deal with on a daily basis in camp with Hennen Problema. This guy looks like a Problema. Um, the guy's, yeah, six foot ten, like an 84 inch reach. Like the guy's a freaking monster. So. He may be a lot more well-equipped to deal with the, the range striking than we even think as well. He's 41 years old. Obviously, he's not at the level that he's been in the past. And you know, who, who would blame him for that? But I think he gets through Kevin Holland. I was very, very surprised to see him at like plus 150 earlier in the week. Um, any dog money is pretty much gone across the board at this point. I still think as a pick him. Um, you, you get on board if you haven't already. We got uh, Cyril Gagne taking on Junior Dos Santos. Gagne, a minus 420 favorite. JDS, a plus 335. JDS has been knocked out in his last three fights against, you know, the elite of the heavyweight division. Jairzinho Rosenstrike, Curtis Blades, and Francis Ngannou, Frankie Murder. No real shame in that. Gagne... Not exactly a historical finisher, but maybe JDS is just completely cooked. I'm not going to lie to you, though, Cody. This minus 420 price seems very, very wide to me. Um, I think Gagne is the truth. I think he's the future. But if he can't, if this goes to decision, maybe we'll see some, uh, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit of the the lack of... Uh, Maybe we'll see some holes in his game. or you know, the, the cardio's held up against Tanner Bozer. I don't know. The kid's really good. The price is just what's kind of scaring me off. I do think he wins probably 75 to 80% of the time, but the price is telling me that he wins a little bit over 80% of the time. So it's, it's hard to jump on board at that price. Um, maybe over one and a half rounds, minus 120. That's how we attack this. Yeah, so this is another fight where you could talk about back class a lot, and that one guy's fought relatively newcomers in the UFC and looked good against a low-level competition, and the other guy's losing against the creme de la creme, the best guy. So, like, how do you gauge it? Do you gauge it to the tune of four to one? Like, no, probably, definitely, I'd say, why? Uh, especially with heavyweights, right? I mean, it only takes one shot. This guy hasn't really been tested. Like, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, JDS, we know he's a former champion. We know, again, he's fought the best of the guys in the division. He's that American top team. 36 years old is, you know, how I feel about that as far as... Uh, athletes go but at heavyweight not the worst it's that he's taking an absolute tremendous amount of physical damage and that has just absolutely slowing him down and with jds now it's had like all of his punching combinations are super predictable you see everything he's doing from a mile out he never had in my opinion people say he was a mobile heavyweight he's a mobile heavyweight sorry people don't say it, it's true but his footwork's not very good and he just kind of stands there and throws the same punch combinations. He doesn't really throw much variation. It's the same shit over and over. So eventually, he starts telegraphing it. Eventually, he's figuring it out. But again, he's fighting the best guys in the world. So it's tough to say, geez, you know, he lost to Francis Ngannou by knockout. It's Francis. Easy pass. Or Curtis Blades smashed him. It's Curtis Blades. Okay, easy pass. These are top three guys in the division. Well, Yerozino Rosenstruck hit him with the touch of death. But he actually didn't look terrible in the first round. And then... Yarazino Rosenstruck has the touch of death. So yep. it is what it is. Cyril Gagne, meanwhile, is fighting Tanner Boser and Dante Mays and Rafael Pessoa. It's like, are you kidding? But here in line, 
here in lines where I think the real value in this fight is, is that you go the over one and a half rounds. Yeah, that's right? what I, see. I say the over one and a half rounds because you have JDS who's been getting knocked out by the biggest power punches. So the, what, what people are saying is that he's chinny. He can't take a punch anymore. He can't take a punch from those guys, right? Don't let that fool you into thinking that anybody can knock him out. You still have to have some power. And Cyril Gunn, not that he doesn't have the power, but he preserves, he, 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 uh, he likes to just pace himself out a little bit. He likes to just touch and go, touch and go. It's not the most powerful punches, but he likes to preserve himself, you know, take himself into some later rounds, maybe finish you later. As far as his ground game goes, he's not submitting JDS. As far as the knockout goes, yeah, he could maybe catch him at some point later in the second round, maybe even the third round, if anything. Uh, but probably fight goes the distance. And so the fact that over one and a half is minus 120, that's the move on this fight, right? The yeah. fight to start round three is plus 130. Just getting two rounds in there, you know I'm going to have some of that as well. And then the fight to go the distance is plus 180. And that one's pretty interesting, again, because you have a guy that if Gagne wins, I could very much see him winning decision, right? So let's say JDS decides to flip the script on him, right? Mm-hmm he's not really that same murderous power puncher that he has been in the past. Like the Derek Lewis fight and the Tai Tuivasa fight were both cases of both guys just getting so tired. Tai Tuivasa kicked his ass in the first round. And then in the second round, Tai Tuivasa is so gassed out, walks right head into a shot, gets dropped. Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis completely gassed out, not throwing any punches. Th- those guys he can get later in the, fu- in the rounds. But even then he's taking them out in the second round, right? Yeah. So it. if he wins against, if he wins against Cyril, it's going to be one of those moments where it's like, oh, shit, Surreal's not who he thought he was. And later in the fight, he gets caught. But I don't think JDS just walks out there and knocks him out early. So over one and a half, fight starts round three, fight goes the distance. I got Gagne, he'll be on parlays, and Surreal Gagne by decision. However, when we talk about, uh, you know, building up parlays for the most, you know, our most trustworthy guys right at the top, uh, we'll see how it shakes out. Maybe he ends up being on the top block. But more realistically, it's a heavyweight fight. He's been fighting low-level guys, and now this is a big jump up in competition. Not a small jump up in competition. It's a big leap for him, right? Is, so I don't, I don't know looked. that I consider him like the lock of the week. It's a big price tag. I don't love the price tag, so you have to parlay. He has looked excellent. The skills look like they're totally there, but yeah, it's a big step up in competition. Yeah, I think, yeah, the over one and a half rounds is my favorite play by far in that fight. I think we're, we're dealing with a little bit of recency bias about JDS fighting the most murderous power punchers that I guess, I guess blades isn't, but blades kind of cooks you and then, and then beat you down. Right. Um, the JDS obviously has taken a lot of damage, but I think one and over one and a half rounds seems at, at basically a pick them that I see across the markets right now. That seems to be the can best I, play on the board. Can I throw something in real quick for you? A little greasy theory for you. Have at her. Okay, yeah. So the UFC announces that they're making these 60 cuts, right? Mm-hmm. And they're getting rid of guys. And what it comes down to is that the roster is real big. They're paying these guys too much money. There's uncertainty in the economy. Stuff costs more money to now host. It's like, okay, we gotta, we got to trim the fat. So it's not just they're going to get rid of the 60 worst guys on the roster. No. They're going to get rid of 60 people that it makes sense to get rid of. So a guy like JDS, as much as he's a former champion, it makes a lot of sense to get rid of him. He's 36. His best days are behind him. He's lost three fights in a row. All three of those losses are by knockout. He's expensive. He'd be great for Bellator, and he's the kind of guy you would see in Bellator, you know, probably in the next couple in the next year, let's say. But he makes so much money that he he has to sink or swim. 
So what they would like is they would like a young prospect to mm -hmm. defeat him, take the shine, and then shake him loose, right? Because it's Your easy boy, to be like, gotta bring... it's easy to be like, this guy is a former champion, and uh, he's on a four-fight losing streak. Easy, easy yeah, to get rid of him at that point. And your your boy OSP from last weekend is going to get cut as well, even though it's just coming off one loss. See, his best days are behind him. He's 37 now, okay? He's now losing to up-and-comers with nine pro fights like Jamal Hill, and he makes 100 and 100. Had he won that fight, he's making $200,000. But he loses, he makes 100000 That's a lot of money to be paying for a 37-year-old OSP. So what happens is he'll be probably bare-knuckle boxing or, or in Bellator, right? They're looking to shake some trim, some fat off the roster. And so they're, they're giving these guys unfavorable matchups against the young up-and-comer, and then they're getting out of here. That, that's what's happening here. They want gone just, sorry, JDS, that's it for you. That's four-fight losing streak. You're released. Big contract. Off you go. If another promotion signs you, it's okay because your best days are behind you. We're not missing out on anything. Same reason that we'll let Fabrizio Verdum walk. We're looking at those young guys. We're looking at... Francis Ngannou. We're looking at the Surreal Ghanians. We're looking at Curtis Blades. We're looking at uh, Alexander Romanov. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. We're looking for younger heavyweights that can potentially develop into something. These guys, they're they're just there for the namesake. So uh, I think there's a clear there's a clear written idea of, of what they want to happen. It's, it's whether that actually plays out in the fight itself. We got Daniel Pineda taking on Cub Swanson. Daniel Pineda minus one fifty five favorite. Swanson could be had for plus one thirty five. Where's your head at on this one? Yeah, so with Cub Swanson, it's like again, you think he's done. You think he's one of these guys the UFC's probably getting ready to release, and then he goes out there and puts on that last hurrah, which is funny to me because I thought his last hurrah was the Duho Choi fight. You were there, I was there. The craziest fight you've awesome. ever seen and in the end it's like he gets the victory and it's oh this is an awesome cool little farewell for cub swanson to get a a, a fight of the year you know like this was his masterpiece then they give him artem lobov so questionable why he would be fighting artem lobov in fact he was a minus 600 favorite and it was a main event slot it's like a fight that didn't make sense it went five rounds he wasn't able to take artem out in fact Arguably lost the first, but again, it's a nothing fight. He beats our robot by decision. Yeah, since then, you know, fight the best guys. The best guys in the division, you know, Ortega, Frank Yeager, Hanato Moicano, we talked about earlier, Shane Burgos, who I'm, I'm really high up on myself. And is he getting by those guys? Like, no. Is he taking a lot of damage in those fights? Yeah. The Cron Gracie fight, though, it presents, and we'll talk about this later, a perfect stylistical matchup for him. And whereas he's really savvy veteran, he's fought in all the best guys. And even though he's on a bad streak right now, he's got all the skills in the world. He's just getting a little bit older. Taking on a guy that's very one-dimensional and very green. So, as I said, we'll talk about this later, Chase Hooper, right? Chase Hooper is very one-dimensional and he's very green. So, like, those savvy veteran guys are going to take advantage of him all day. Those guys that just, you know, aren't really that good, yeah, he can, he can shine against them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's the same thing. Kron Gracie is awesome at jiu-jitsu, but his wrestling's non-existent, right? And his striking, it's not all that good. And, like, his ring IQ, I mean, it leaves something to be desired. He's got five pro fights. And he's taking on a guy in Cub Swanson who had 36 pro fights at the time, who fought all of the best guys twice over. Like, it's a big gap. But here's, here's where Cub fucked up. So Cubs had a history of injuries. The guy's always getting hurt. Broken hands, you know, uh, knee injuries. Just, guy is ravished, right? That's what happens when you've had 36 pro fights against all the best guys in the world. Fought Jens Pulver in the WEC. But when I was in high school, I remember watching that fight live. It's like he has just been in through the ringer. That winning over Kron Gracie is like, boom, momentum reestablished, let's keep this going. 
but he took that grappling match against Jake Shields and he hurt himself in the grappling match. I think he blew his knee out. And now he's actually coming off a year long layoff since the injury. He's 37. Like I, I, I just can't really get behind him with a year long layoff, another injury, one in five, one in four in his last five fights. Like we can't, and it was just a really good spot for him against Crone Gracie. Whereas Daniel Pineda is not a good spot because to UFC casuals, they've never heard of him, and he is a dangerous, dangerous guy. See, you know how you've got 36 pro fights? Yeah, he's got 40, and he has not taken nearly the amount of damage. His jiu-jitsu is legit. His striking is good. His wrestling is good. His cardio is pretty good. He looked like he was going to win a million, a million dollars in PFL, like it was going to be him or Lance Palmer. If he caught Lance Palmer, he's about to win literally $1 million for winning the tournament. And then it turns out he was on the juice. So him coming off the juice, signing with the UFC, he smashed Herbert Burns. Now, I don't like Herbert Burns. I think Herbert Burns is a total fraud. So it's another idea of like, oh, maybe it was just right opponent, right time. You know, just like fighting Crone Gracie, you took a one-dimensional jiu-jitsu guy and you exposed him. Same thing Cub did. But as far as this fight goes, Cub's a little bit of a slow starter, so I feel like Daniel Pineda is going to get off quicker, probably win the first round. Uh, outside of that, Cub prefers to counterpunch. I would say he's got more power, but I don't see him knocking out Pineda. Pineda's just more aggressor. He's going to be in the pocket. He's going to be moving forward. He's going to be pressuring. I think it's going to be enough to persuade the judges. As far as the wrestling goes, Pineda's got the advantage. If he did, if he takes Cub Swanson down, he's going to outgrapple him. He's a BJJ black belt and a good BJJ black belt. And uh, I just feel like there's a lot of passive victory for him here. Do I like the line? No, I'd like to see it close to even just because you have so much bad class in Cub Swanson and the guy that's been around the block a few times is still dangerous. Minus 165, Daniel Pineda almost seems like it's writing him off. Uh, especially because Daniel Pineda is 35 years old as well. He's no spring chicken. He's mm-hmm. a guy that fought in the UFC himself. He, this is his second go-around. First time go-around was not very good. He's fighting really good guys, don't get me wrong. But it's like he's limited. You know, Why would you like him at 165 or over Cub Swanson? Maybe I don't like him at that price tag, but uh, I just feel like I thought maybe it was the juice is why he looked so good in PFL. And then to see him go in there against Herbert Burns and just put it on him, it's like, you know what? It's a lifetime of skills, and he's finally putting together – that lifetime of skills and at 35 only two years younger than cub three fights more than cub half of the ring wear and so for that reason i think that he's going to end up getting the victory so uh daniel pineda i can see people passing on this fight but uh I- i'm gonna take pineda for the victory yeah i'm with you i can't actually really even add anything onto it i think just we're cubs at the end of the road i'm surprised that he hasn't uh hasn't hung up the gloves or put them in the center of the octagon as they do. All right, we got Mackenzie Dern taking on Verna Jandy Roba. Mackenzie Dern minus 185 favorite Jandy Roba plus 160. Not gonna lie, Cody. Kind of surprised to see Mackenzie Dern is this big of a favorite. Can Verna hang? At least hang if they get to the ground, not get submitted against Mackenzie Durham because I haven't seen enough out of Mackenzie's stand-up to really concern me, and I think that should be an advantage for Verna in this spot. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think she's got advantages. I'm going to say that she's probably going to be dog number two for me on this card. I think that she's live up plus 160. Uh, Mackenzie Durham is a good grappler as far as gi jiu-jitsu competition goes. She was amongst one of the best. Mm -hmm. For coming over to MMA, it's super interesting. I think she also wrestled, not collegiately, she wrestled in high school and was apparently a decent wrestler, although that never came through. The striking, no doubt she's making improvements every fight out. But it's like chin way up in the air, like, you know, doesn't pull back the punch to her chin after she extends herself, overextends herself a ton, forwardly something to be desired. 
Like it's, it's definitely a work in progress. And this is what's interesting. She's 27. She's clearly got some skill. So if you give her a cast iron work ethic, if you make her a Polish immigrant like Joanny and Jacek, it's like she's going to be the world champion. But Mackenzie Dern's got a reputation of being real lazy, right? That's the reason she got kicked out of the MMA lab with John Crouch. They hooped her out of the gym. Uh, just apparently likes to be on the beach, likes to go surfing. Very skilled, but doesn't have that drive, doesn't have that, that willingness. So eventually when someone takes her into deeper waters, that's, that's what's going to get her. Now, everybody loves her because, one, she's a good-looking girl. Two, she's got accredited BJJ background. She's undefeated at the time. But these are the, the prices that they've given you, right? Her UFC debut of her Yachter, she's a minus 455. The Amanda Cooper fight, she's a minus 275. The Cooper fight, she didn't look – I didn't think all that good, and then she eventually dropped her and submitted her. But the Amanda Rebus fight, she's a minus 185 favorite, almost right in Rebus off. Rebus goes out there and gets the victory over it. The Hannah Cyphers fight as a build back, she's a four to one favorite. The Ronda Marcos fight, she's a minus one eighty favorite. And the Ronda Marcos fight really bugged me because Mar- Marcos went on record before the fight and said, "I'm not going to go to the ground with her. I know she just wants to go to the ground. She's a guard puller. She can't take me down. I'm just going to keep this fight standing and box her up, which is essentially what you should do if you're going to beat Mackenzie Dern. But instead, like Mackenzie Dern flopped over. I, it was a it was a glancing punch, and Marcos just automatically assumed she's hurt. And just follows her to the ground and gets submitted. Like, I don't understand what she was doing. But now we got Vernon Jandanobo, who doesn't have great striking. But you got to maybe think it's comparable, or at least slight advantage, Jandanobo. But the wrestling advantage is going to go to Verna. Mm-hmm. And if Verna just ends up in top position, Mackenzie Dern's sweet at jiu-jitsu. But Verna's a, a black belt as well, a credited black belt, a good black belt. And so, I don't know. I give strength advantage to Verna. I give ring IQ to Verna. I give wrestling to Verna. I give striking probably close but maybe slight lean towards Verna. I give cardio Verna. The weight cut is always super interesting because Dern's has blown so many weight cuts and then moved up weight classes. And where like Verna's like tough, solid, fits the weight class good. She's very unassuming. Like she's got that look that you wouldn't think she's a pro fighter, but like a tough pro fighter. And so I honestly think that the price tag is just a little bit off. Plus 160 is, uh, is good enough for me to take that underdog shot in Vernon Jandanova. And if she gets the win, I don't see her knocking out Mackenzie Dern. I don't see her submitting Mackenzie Dern. It's one of those things where it's like, you're just the better fighter. You're going to win some rounds. And as a result, the over is going to hit in this fight. And Jandanova by decision is a big plus money play. So, I mean, that that's that's where I would go. Women's MMA, fires beware. But uh, I'm going to take an underdog in this spot. I like it. I like where your head's at. And uh, for the record, that over is minus 135. Open at minus 120, people are on the same page as you. So, uh, yeah, I like where your head's at on that fight. We've got uh, Billy Quarantillo taking on Gavin Tucker. Billy Q is a minus 155 favorite. Gavin Tucker plus 135. This is a, this is a banger. This is a great fight here. Uh, this is the first fight where I'm not entirely sure if Billy Q, Billy Q just puts a, puts a pace on people and they just can't. They can't, they, you know, sink or swim, and most people basically sink, like we saw in the Kyle Nelson fight. High, high-paced fight. Nelson had some spots early on. We get to round three. Billy Q lands one and completely folds him. Um, but that was just like a process of, like, fighting at a pace that Nelson just could not keep up with. Uh, same with the Spike Leaf or uh, Spike Lee, <laughs> Spike Carlisle fight, where, you know, I, I guess Carlisle in round three had uh, just the strength advantage kind of. He was able to at least control some positions. But uh, this is the first fight where I think Gavin Tucker can kind of hang. 
at that pace, at that speed. Both of these guys are pretty durable. Um, do you have a hard lean on this fight? Because it opened at near a pick and people like themselves some Billy Q. I'm just not entirely sure if I want to be laying minus 155. I really do think this is a, this is pretty much a straight pick What about you? Yeah, I got Billy Q. I always take Billy Q. He's my guy. Uh, my girlfriend, big Gavin Duggar fan, actually, another another East Coast Maritime guy. And, yeah, Canadian, followed him through his entire career. I feel bad picking against him. These are the spots I don't like when the UFC matches up two guys I'd consider my boy. Gavin Tucker, yeah, my boy. But Billy Q is, like, legit. Like, I don't bet against him because they're not putting him in, in over his head, you know? It's not like they're giving him top 10, top 15 guys, you know, top five guys, and it's like you're – He's my guy. I'm going to back him. It's just like, no, no, no. You can feel good backing him in these spots because they're winnable fights for him. You're going to see some improvements from him. You're going to see some develop from, from him as well. Uh, this goes back to the contender series, right? Remember the Kamwala Kirk fight? He was a plus 185 underdog. But I told you, I was like, don't worry. Billy's cardio is going to check out. He just keeps going. His jiu-jitsu is good. He's going to break this guy down. First round, close. Second round, Billy's taken over. Third round, Billy just absolute. Well, second round is a 10-8 round. And the third round, the guy's just a broken man. Billy cashes that nice underdog ticket for us. Perfect. UFC debut, they didn't give us a good price tag on that one. He was a sizable three-to-one favorite. But uh, he absolutely mauled Jacob Kilburn, came through for DraftKings points, you know, scored really good. Despite Karloff fight, again, they're giving us dog money on my boy. At, he ended up going off at minus 130. There was a ton of love coming in there for Spike Karloff. But Billy does what he's got to do, close fight. Kyle Nelson fight goes out there. You see, you see where Billy's cashing tickets. You like Billy. This Gavin Tucker fight, it's another spot where it's just like this is a nice winnable fight for him because Gavin Tucker's better standing. He's a better slickster. He's got the better uh, technical boxing. If he, the fight stays standing for the entire time, you figure that like he's the sharper, more technical guy. But Billy's got a pace. Billy's got a pace that just kind of breaks guys, and that's the difference between them. Billy never stops coming. When you look at the fight metric, and again, just tape study these fights, but if you just want to look at the metric on it, he's always outpacing his opponents. The, Kam- the Kamala Kirk fight, he lands 127 significant strikes. Huge. Jacob Kilburn fight, 74. The Spike Carlisle fight, he's grounded for most of the fight and yet puts up 50 strikes, at, you know, beat, outstrikes him. The Kyle Nelson fight, 80, and that's an early third-round knockout. Like, he's well on his way to landing 100 significant strikes. Whereas Gavin Tucker, like, he can be styling on you, like the Justin James fight, for example. And if you take his shot and you roll with it and you return fire, he gets hurt. He's got durability issues. The Rick Glenn fight, it's like Rick Glenn's not particularly a very good striker. Like, he's got advantages over Rick Glenn. But Rick Glenn just throws a lot of output, stays in his face, and just absolutely tunes him pillar to post. He takes two years off just from the injuries. And since then, he's been ma- matched up really cheap. Sumo Choi, very winnable fight for him. And he does win the fight. And then Justin James, very winnable fight for him. He gets dropped in the first round, but then skill prevails, right? And he gets the victory. Mm-hmm. But it's like dur- he still has durability issues. It's still there. Like it's still on display. Like someone, someone's going to knock this guy, right? And Billy's not a power puncher. So maybe Billy's not the guy that just catches him with that one clean shot. But Billy's going to catch him with 100 clean shots. And when was the last time you seen that? The last time you seen that was when Gavin Tucker Glenn, fought yeah. Rick Glenn. Rick Glenn outlanded him 142 to 23. He also took him down four times. That's interesting because Billy's the better wrestler. If Billy wants to take down Gavin Tucker, I think he can. The fight hits the ground. They're both BJJ black belts. Billy might be a brown belt. I think he's a black belt. I, yeah, Billy's a black belt. Gavin's definitely a black belt. Um, so seems seems uh, you know similar, but the scrambling is going to go to Billy. The cardio is going to go to Billy. The durability is going to go to Billy. And I just feel like really close competitive round. Maybe you live bet this. 
Maybe you see how it shakes out after one. But down the stretch, Billy's taking this thing. She's taking rounds two and three, or he's finishing late in the third. So uh, I- I'm, I'm going to take some of those overs, and I'm going to take Billy Q to get the job done. We got Tisha Torres taking on Sam Hughes. Tisha Torres a minus four fifty favorite. Sam Hughes plus three fifty. There's only one sports book out there that actually has a line on this one, or at least only one sports book that I've seen on BestFightOdds.com that has a line on this. Sam Hughes obviously coming in on very very short notice here. Um, where's your head at here? I, I imagine. I wish there was more more props and stuff like that. Obviously, Tisha Torres was getting ready for, you know, for this week, and uh, Angela Hill had to pull out. Uh, Sam Hughes has fought your girl Vanessa Demopoulos. Uh, I haven't had time to even tape this fight yet. Um, uh, minus four fifty is a pretty steep price tag, obviously. Uh, Tisha Torres by decision probably not, not, without doing any tape. That's where where I would imagine you where you're going to say this fight is going. Yeah, I would, well, I mean it's Tisha Torres. Like when was the last time she's got that one submission over Juliana Lima, and that breaks up a stretch of like her entire career has been decision. So if you're going to pick her, you're always going to try to improve that price tag by taking the decision. Tisha Torres is another one of these fighters that just was the beneficiary of a, a, a drop down in competition, right? When she's fighting the best girls in the world, she's coming up on the wrong end of decisions, right? Loses these fights, but at least she's going to decision with Jessica Andrade and Joanny and Jacek and Wiley Zhang and Marina Rodriguez. Oh, again, you see, you see the decline, like the, the best, the best, the best, you know, a top 10 contender. But it's like Tisha Torres always gives a good account of herself the best that she can. And now that they give her a drop down, she takes on Brianna Van Buren. I made the I made the the no no of of really thinking Brandon Van Buren was the shit. You know, her boxing looked good, her submissions looked good, wrestling looked good. She won the one night tournament for Invicta, fought three times in one night, looked really solid. Cardio checked out. Tisha Torres is a, a plus one seventy five underdog. Why? Why Tisha Torres? Someone's got twenty fights in the UFC. Has just fought three of the five best fighters in the division. How is she that big of a plus money? But again, I bought the bullshit, and we talked about a lot of these fights. Don't buy the bullshit. I. I did buy the bullshit. And it's just like Tisha Torres not fighting the best girls in the world. She looks like a world beater again. Like she's got skills. She's very talented. She obviously trains at the at a very high level. Yeah, like the, I, you don't mind her, right? She's supposed to take on Angela Hill. That's a good fight. It's a competitive fight. I'd probably say slight lean towards Tisha Torres, but at least it's another established fighter who's had lots of fights in the UFC. And now you're taking on a debuting fighter. Like it's a... That's a big advantage for TJ Torres. Mm-hmm. Minus 450 is probably going to get steam closer to six. But if you take it by decision, you're obviously going to improve that a little bit. Sam Hughes is not terrible. Um, I remember the Vanessa Dumopoulos fight. I had Vanessa Dumopoulos. And Sam Page, through the first round, wins the first round. Second round wins the second round. Third round wins the third round. Her striking looks good. She's strong. She doesn't look terrible. Looks like, you know, could be something here, work in progress. But the fourth round hits the ground. And Vanessa Dumopoulos is pretty good at jiu-jitsu. And she ended up just hitting up this inverted triangle choke submits uh submits sam hughes sam hughes had given a good account of herself through the first three rounds and it was largely on the basis of aggression you know decent stand-up comes forward grinds away at you beats you good cardio um the very next fight she takes on this danielle henley for lfa she's a big favorite in that spot and she again she looks good she goes out there she puts it on her ends up submitting her cold at the very tail end of the first round there's something here she's 28 years old there's something you can work with it's just such a stretch to be like Sam Hughes is 28, okay? 
She started fighting professional in February of 2019. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's got virtually no professional experience. As a pro, she's fought three fighters that were making their debuts. One girl who's three and one lost to Vanessa Dumopoulos, who cannot strike nor wrestle. It's just low key, real hot, and uh, got good jiu-jitsu. Former stripper, by the way. Uh, lo- loses to the former stripper, and then picks up a, a gimme win where she's a four to one favorite over Danielle Henley. So it's not just like, oh, she's making a U- UFC debut. That's a talent jump. It's not just, oh, she's making a UFC debut against a girl who's already fought in the UFC before. It's not she's making her UFC debut against a girl who's fought five or ten times. It's like she's fighting Tisha Torres, a very well-known, established name in the in the the division is fought the the, top ch- 10 all fighter. the former yeah fun all the former champions you know was that american top team spent went to colorado trained with all of the best people in the world really honed her skills and if you thought she was done because she was on a four fight losing streak completely showed you how reinvigorated she was in her last fight so 450 yeah tisha torres by decision yeah it's gonna go way higher than that once the rest of the lines release it but she's the clear-cut favorite and it's nothing against sam hughes it's that like her, her path of victory would consist of out hustling Tisha Torres, who goes three rounds like it ain't no thing. Like, this is a regular thing for her, right? If Tisha fought Vanessa Dumopoulos, she might actually score uh, a TKO. I would bet Tisha Torres scores a TKO win, which she's never done in her career before if she fought Vanessa Dumopoulos. Like, that's how much of a talent jump there is to where Sam Hughes now has to compete. So, yeah, yeah. If this is the price tag that's being laid down for 50, I don't expect it to last all that long. Um, Tisha Torres, is the, she's the clear and obvious pick. We move on down. We've got a heavyweight fight between Sergey Spivak and Jared Vandera. Uh, Sergey Spivak, a minus 235 favorite. Vandera, plus 195. If you watch Vandera on Contender Series, this guy likes getting punched in the face, and he is ugly. As he, Those are his words, not mine. Um, the guy seems durable. It's pretty sloppy. This is a low-level heavyweight fight. Uh, Spivak minus 235. I mean, he probably wins, but I actually prefer what I've seen. Um, best fight odds is acting kind of weird. I, I got in on a little bit uh, uh, over one and a half rounds between these guys because what I have seen from Vandera is, like, he's right. Like, the guy seems to have crazy durability. He is just, like, the technical... Uh, defense and everything like that may not be on point, but he is there to be hit, enjoys being hit. And it, the the whole ugly thing is, I don't know, maybe it was on contenders. It was really weird. It was just like, man, you're not that ugly. Like, give yourself a break. But um, I, I kind of see this, you know, we've seen Sergey Spivak against Carlos Felipe go to decision. When's the last time Spivak hasn't got over the one and a half rounds here? Um, even against Tai Tuivasa, he won by uh, arm and triangle choke. I don't know if he's going to be able to get an early. I guess Walt Harris knocked him de- uh, knocked him out in the in the first round. So ah, Walt hits like a yeah. Walt out there finishes damn. you in the first round, or then gases or gases yeah, in the that's, second. Well, right? that's his narrative, of course. That's so, why he has the reputation. He beat a couple guys like that. I haven't seen any sort of crazy talent from any of the tape that I've done. And from watching the Contender series, that I think Vandera is going to win here. I think the best, the best play is the over one and a half because they're kind of priced. I feel like this fight probably goes to decision unless maybe one of these guys gasses out. But over one and a half rounds, 
I see minus 185. You may be able to get a better price at some other pl- at some other shops. Um, I've already got like a little little parlay with that one. What do you think? Yeah, you know what? Vandera, his little post-fight interview, he comes off, he says he's ugly. I didn't think he was ugly. I thought he sounded like a dumbass. But nobody <laughs> ever comes out. Ever, you hear people all the time be like, yeah, I'm not a looker. Like, yeah, I'm ugly. But no one ever comes out and says, I'm a dumbass, right? So I expected him to go the I'm ugly route. But uh, he's taking a lot of damage considering he's only 28 years old. He was actually five and four as an amateur, right? So nine amateur fights is a lot of amateur fights considering the same boxing. Like nobody fights that much as an amateur. Anyways, he fights nine times as an amateur, got knocked out one of those times. And then I remember he first popped on on my radar. He fought for the LFA title, LFA 15. This is three years ago against Richard Odoms. Now Richard Odoms is a cop who is like a part-time fighter who is nearly 40 years old. And Vander gassed out and ended up getting caught in a Kimura in the fifth round. But I thought, you know what, he's young enough that he'll make some improvements. But he did it. He went to Africa. He fought for EFC Africa in South Africa. Lost a split decision to Andrew Van Zyl. Came back to LFA, lost to Vernon Lewis, a 4-3 and three fighter. This is only two years ago, right? And then goes back to EFC Africa and Juan Potts beats him. Ricky Macholas, if you don't know who that is, check a quick little YouTube video Ricky. You'll see he's real thick and he's uh, real powerful, but he's not a very good fighter, right? Comes back to LFA. And like that Henan Ferreira fight, right? That's uh, so that's he, that's Jacare's guy, by the way. Henan Ferreira? Yeah, that's Henan Problema that I was talking about. Six foot ten, oh, 84 inch okay. reach. Okay, so that Henan Ferreira guy drops him with a left hand straight down the pipe. And I mean fucking drops him, right? But... One thing with Jared Vandera is like his head is full of stone. He's like uh, <laughs> old school fans will remember Cabbage Carrera. Like th- this guy is your 2020 Cabbage Carrera. And as a result, he don't get knocked out. He powers back up. Henan Ferreira takes him down. Henan Ferreira beats him up on the ground. Once you know it, Jared Vandera reverses. Henan is gas and just <laughs> throws up the laziest triangle choke. And sticks him with it, submits him. It's like, oh, man, Jared Vandera. Like, what are what are these improvements? Tony Lopez is 43 years old. Harry Hunsucker was the most un- untalented guy this season of the Contender Series. Mm-hmm. And, and he got wobbled in the first round by him. Like, like, what do we like here? But what we like is that he's plus money, and it's a shitty heavyweight fight, right? Parker Porter, two win- w- weeks ago, it's like, eh, who wants any Parker Porter? Not really me. But what does Parker Porter have? Decent cardio. You know, for heavyweight, decent cardio. And turns out he hits a nice little dog play. Then you got Jake Collier last week. Like, who wants to bet Jake Collier? No, nobody, nobody. But they're two really low-level heavyweights. And once you know the underdog, everyone's laughing at Jake Collier, myself included. But the low-level underdog comes through and wins again. So when you look at Sergey Spivak, he's not a world beater by any stretch of imagination. So that last fight against Carlos Felipe, uh, his striking is robotic, man. And it's, it looks better than it has in other fights. But he's not a striker. Like, if this stays standing the entire time, could he, you know, could he win? Yeah, but he's not a power puncher. So Vandera has been just dropped by guys. And you need a lot of power to knock this guy out. So if you don't knock him out, he's going to be in your face. Well, how is Sergey Spivak's gas tank? Like, not great. You know, he's lucky he got a takedown in the third round against Carlos Felipe his last time out because he looked tired in the second round in that spot. You know, he's fought in, he's fought in some lower-level guys and looked okay. He's fought in some mid-level guys and not looked good at all. Marcin Tabora took him down twice, completely outgrappled him. 
So why can't Jared Vandera do the same thing? One thing that actually worries me is that Sergey Spivak is one of these heavyweights that routinely checks in at 240, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Jared Vandera is 265. Like he's six foot four. They call him the mountain because he's slow and plodding. But he's got okay wrestling. And I'll tell you what, if he ends up on top of Sergey Spivak, Spivak's not getting back up. And Jared Vandera probably TKO. You don't want to end up with this massive guy on top of you. It's whether or not his wrestling is actually good enough to take that Spivak. Now, the last thing I'll say is I'm not completely giving Spivak no chance. He's only 25 years old. And if you check out his Instagram stuff, he's done this camp in Las Vegas and with Francis Ngannou. So you see like Francis and him, they're working out side by side. It's like no doubt he's going to be in good shape. He does make improvements every fight out. He still is only 25 years old. He has higher upside than Jared Vandera. But he's not plus money. He's the favorite. And I don't really particularly want to back him as the favorite. So I would say that this is a dogger pass spot. 235 for Sergey Spivak. You have to really believe in those improvements he's making. And I got to see them before I can fully believe them. He won a majority over Felipe Silva, who's making his debut last time out. I thought he could have lost the first two rounds. Actually, it was pretty close. Um, yeah, I think Vander at plus 195. The line's just too big. Dogger pass. We've seen these heavyweight dogs cash two weeks in a row. Let's see if they'll make it three. And finally, you alluded it alluded to it earlier. Chase Hooper takes on Peter Barrett. Chase Hooper, minus 380 favorite. A Barrett can be had for plus 315. Um, obviously, you know, they were talking about holes in the game, uh, undeveloped skill. I think Hooper was an even bigger favorite, and some love has been coming in. Let me just check this quickly. Um no, no, not really. Never, you know, some shops may have them at like minus 400, minus 380 is close to the best you'll get across the market right now. I mean, we just saw the Alex Caceres fight. Alex Caceres is considerably more skilled, more experienced, and has fought the higher level of competition over the years. But we saw the issues with Chase Hooper, and I mean, we paid the price for it because we thought that that we that we thought that he was going to be able to get that takedown and and find the submission. Clearly, we were wrong in that spot. I mean, the problem with him, and I'm sure he's you know Chase Hooper's so young, he's got such a long frame. The you know the frame and his uh, the ceiling could we could get there. He could be considerably better this fight than he was last time out. And Peter Barrett is a step down in competition. He has been submitted a whole bunch, but it's tough with a young kid like this with a very, very limited skill set to, uh, to get too excited about laying the wood at minus 400. Um, I'll pick Chase Hooper in this spot, but I'm not betting the minus 400. I'm not making him a, a pillar of parlays or anything like that. What about you? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Listen, he's only 21 years old, so at the end of the day, maybe he's made improvements, but he's still a young kid. And the biggest takeaway that you did get from the Alex Caceres fight is that, like, it's uh, it's a guy that would, you know, be in, like, his first or second year of college versus a, a full-grown man who's been doing nothing but fighting for the last... Bruce Leroy's a 23-fight UFC veteran. That's not even considering the fact that he fought three times on The Ultimate Fighter and had some, like, 10 fights before even going to The Ultimate Fighter. He's been around the block many, many times. He's fought in some of the best guys. Again, we talk about this talent gap. And for Hooper, he had fought in low-level guys on the Contender Series. Remember when he got the contract? He got his ass beat in the first round. But this young kid, he's got some good jiu-jitsu. He's wily. 
He wins. Dana, everyone's smiling. He's the youngest kid to ever fight on Contender Series. They give him a developmental contract. He fights, you know, relatively nobody from the, after he got that developmental deal from Dana White's Contender Series, right? Uh, his very next fight is a draw against a seven and eight opponent. The guy had seven wins, eight losses. And Chase Hooper fought him to a split draw. So you see right then, it's like he won a contender series fight and now can't even beat a seven and eight opponent because he's just young. He's just a jiu-jitsu guy. He has no wrestling. He has no striking. And he's like 19 years old. But they stick with him. He wins one. The Luis Gomez fight, that's actually a decent little win for Titan FC. And then they just throw him in there with the U- into the UFC. But he, he takes advantage of his first fight because it's Daniel Tamor, who one, has no gas tank. Two, can't grapple. So all he really has to do is make sure he don't get knocked out in the first round. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, then this is like a tailor-made fight for him to win. Like, yeah, he's not going to be the better striker, but Tamor's just not his brother David. He's Daniel. Big difference, right? And as a result, once the fight hits the ground, Tamor's completely gassed. This kid puts a show on. So to give a guy who's winless, I think Daniel Tamor's never won the UFC, right? He's 0-3. Was that his UFC record? Um, to give a guy Daniel Tamor and then to give him Bruce Leroy, it's that talent jump. It's Incorrect, like you got to ease. He, he, he beat Sungbin right? Joe. Oh yeah. I I forgot about that fight. To be perfectly honest, in fairness, I I couldn't pick. I'm usually pretty good. I couldn't if I saw Sungbin Joe on the streets. I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a crowd. So I forgot you know Sungbin so Joe I, was even a UFC fighter. I was obviously incorrect. But what I'm saying is if Chase Hooper fights Sungwin Joe, he, he wins too, right? It's if he fights low-level guys where he has a clear path of victory, he, he beats them. Versus Bruce Leroy, it's like, I don't know, man. He trains with Benson Henderson. Like, you're going to take him down? Like, All right. You're going to strike with him? Like, not Chase Hooper, no. You're going to submit him? Like, tch, only the best guys are going to submit him. Like, it's a tough task. But Peter Barrett, at least they've reeled him right back down. Mm-hmm. To slippery Pete, you know, he's he's 0-1 in the UFC. He looked okay on the contender series, but limited competition. The one thing that worries me, though, is as much as Peter Baird doesn't really seem to have many skills, um, he's 34 years old. Like, he's a man. He's going to have that man strength. He's trained at Joe Lozon's. He's trained with good grapplers. He keeps his fight standing. His striking is not all that good, I don't think. But you look back to his contender series fight, right? Um, when he was on the contender series, he landed something, I think, 103 significant strikes over uh, 109 against Sung Boo Yu. <laughs> Low-level shit, Paul. And then as far as the UFC goes, fight with the UFC of the law, he didn't throw his hands almost at all. Now, he was usually defending takedowns, and in the third round, he'd start giving up the takedowns and getting massively outgrappled. Chase Hooper could do that. Chase Hooper could shoot a takedown, not get it, but eventually just transition to the back, take the back, put two hooks in, and, and slide out the round with Pete Barrett. But uh, at 4-1, to one, to see a guy exposed that bad, Seven months later, he's only 21 years old. I don't know that he's made all these improvements. I got to see it. I got to see it before I can start backing him. If they gave it to you at two to one, you know, if I had to line this fight, I'd probably lay, uh, I'd line Chase Hooper minus 220, minus 240. Once it got steamed, probably get up to like 260 or 280 at the very most. This is sitting at 380 right now. Like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, I don't want to get fooled twice on Chase Hooper, and I haven't seen enough. Now, when he got. I mean, in by, theory, uh, Leroy. in theory, you should be betting Barrett if you would line it that way, but but you don't want to. 
I imagine. You know what? I started talking myself into a Pete Barrett bet initially because I was like, you know what, dude, he's out of Joe Lozon's gym. You know they're going to have his grappling good. He's one of these Boston strong guys. If if he keeps his fight standing against Zalal, the fight's standing for the first two rounds. But So Zalal gives him a concussion 30 seconds into the fight, right? He hits him with a wheel kick to the face, and Pete Barrett just drops. And then from that point on, I have to assume his brain is on autopilot, mm-hmm. but he fights to a decision. So cardio is not a problem. Durability, even though he has been finished in the past, not a huge problem. And when he's getting taken down by use of the law and getting out grabbed by use of the law, it's not the end of the world. So for Hooper might not just absolutely blow through him, but he might not have the wrestling to take him down. And if it's a striking battle, then we've seen him go out there and land over 100 significant strikes against guys, bite down in his mouth shield, and move forward. But th- this, this might just be like me getting into my own head. I'm talking myself into it. I'm talking to Pete Barrett's alive live uh, underdog bet, all this, that. Um, you look at his record, right? He lost to this Connor Barry kid who, uh, it, it's two years ago, it's 2018. But two years ago, Pete Barrett was 32 at the time. Mm-hmm. And this Connor Barry kid was 23. Just jiu-jitsu, nothing else. Slaps up an armbar and submits him. Hasn't done shit since. Uh, so Chase Hooper's fighting the right guy, you know? Like, he probably does, does the exact same thing. And so for that reason, I'm not going to talk myself into a, a daughter pass it's it's probably a pass pass uh hooper were, is going to end up on parlays but he's going to end up on like stage three of the parlay just because you know i'll retape it a couple times I, I actually thought that hooper's striking looked better against bruce leroy but he, he completely was just it was a bad guy to test out your newfound striking and the only reason he tested it out is because he couldn't get the fight to the ground well it's a bad guy to try to wrestle against like Pete Barrett is, is that step back down. He's not a 23-fight UFC veteran. He's a, he's a one-fight UFC veteran. Mm-hmm. He's fought in low-level guys. He's generally not given a very good account of himself. And the UFC likes Hooper. You know, They signed him off Contender Series to a developmental deal. They've marketed him. They've done the whole Ben Askren thing. He actually did go out to Ben Askren and spend some time to work on his wrestling after the Caceres fight. But unfortunately, he, he didn't stay long. And like he, apparently, he's just gone home and just does his regular thing. You know Michael Sarah, the actor, who's basically like resembles him to a T. Like you go to his stuff, it's like him hanging out with his girlfriend. It looks like Michael Sarah just hanging out. You know, young kid goes to jiu-jitsu practice, puts on his belt. You know, was a was a gi champion, I think. I B I B J J F. But like, is he a fighter? Like, I don't know. Slippery Pete's almost got twenty pro fights. He's got fifteen pro fights. Like, I know Slippery Pete's a fighter. He's not a very good fighter, but we know he's a fighter. So. Four to one is just not a good price tag. I'm going to hit a pass on that. As far as the over, um, on one hand, I think Pete extends him over that one and a half and maybe fight gets to round two at the very least. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, the last time Pete took on a young jiu-jitsu kid, he just fell right into his, his, his yeah. boy. He's 34. He has not shored up that part of his game. It probably doesn't scream good for him if he gets taken down early. So, uh, yeah, pr- pr- probably pass. I mean, if I was going to bet anything in this fight, and I probably won't, but... It would be Hooper by submission, which is a straight pick Which is, you know, we're not getting plus money by any stretch of the imagination, but it takes you off of the minus 400. Um, I think that is the most likely outcome. But, yeah, I, I don't feel the need to get over. I mean, Hooper, yeah, he's 21 years old. He's very inexperienced. I, I paid the price by by thinking he was you know, that he was farther along in his progression in his last fight. But I feel like, gun to my head, you tell me how this fight ends, I'm going to say Hooper by submission. Uh, but, yeah, no bet. Uh, let's get into I'll the... Ju- you, oh, 
What were you going to say? Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, I'll tell you what's going to end up happening. It's going to be just like Levitt versus Wyman from last weekend, whereas Levitt's a 4-1 to favorite, same price as Hooper. And it's just like, ah, you know, he only, he can't strike. He can't wrestle. He only knows jiu-jitsu. And it's like, yeah, but he's not fighting a top 15 guy. He's fighting a guy whose skill set is shot to bits. You can get away with just jiu-jitsu and ends up being <laughs> – a KO slam from guard pull. So, or not even you know, just this, that, or he just gets like, position, isn't able to get the submission, and then just gets to like a crucifix, like dominant position, and just like raise down like little hammer fist yeah. or something like he, that. And it ends up buried. being a TKO. You end up getting screwed on the submission, even though he had him where he wanted him. Yeah, like that, that, that's only, the risky take. No, no, exactly. That's the risk you take. And Pete Barrett, only three years younger than that lineman, and not good he's the matt wyman of this week and so yeah could he go out there and spring the win yeah but you're gonna see this is just gonna be a jiu-jitsu match not gonna be a fight it's gonna be a jiu-jitsu match and you're gonna see it's new age jiu-jitsu which is what hooper does you know it's it's the advancement it's these kids you see at tournaments that just dominate and romp the same thing as Levitt. Levitt's new age jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. versus these old school guys that just give up bad positions and then all of a sudden you backpack them for a whole round so uh yeah favorite or pass not dog or pass but i don't love the four to one all right, let's get into the DraftKings breakdown for the card real quickly. Um, yeah, why don't you take it away? Davidson Figueredo, 9,000. Brandon Moreno, 7,200. Yeah, let me, I was just going to sign in my DraftKings real quick. I mean, Figueredo's been getting those early finishes pretty. I mean, you probably want to have access to this fight. I would say so. Five round fight, nine nine thousand isn't too expensive. Figueredo has been finishing people. We think that it probably ends up getting over the two, over the two, or fight starts round three and over two and a half. But that doesn't mean that he can't pay off a price tag, especially if it went, if this went to decision. Um, it, it can definitely pay off the price tag at nine thousand. Yeah, if it goes to decision, you always like having some main event exposure because if it goes five rounds, you might be able to just rack up points. And if it's a quick finish for the guy that you want to win, then you're still going to get some quick points. We've seen that last weekend with Marvin Vittori versus Jack Hermanson where you might not have thought that Vittori could break a slate based on output, but it's five rounds and there's going to be a lot of exchanges and there's going to be a lot of scrambles and there's going to be a lot of just significant strikes add up. And so for that reason, both of these guys are live because Figueredo, as we talked about, 17 of his 20 pro wins are inside the distance. He's got knockout power. He's got a good submission game. He's the kind of guy that's been a, a DKK dream so far in his career. If you're backing him to win this fight, even though he's 9,000, he always does score a lot. If he doesn't get a finish over Moreno, and as I talked about, you know, five pro losses from Moreno, never been finished. If he doesn't get the finish, it's fine. It's fine. If he still wins the fight, it's five rounds. He's still going to get enough um, to make it worth the, the 9,000 price tag. Flip side to that with Brandon Moreno, though, 7,200. If he is a live underdog, and I do believe he's a live underdog, he might be able to get some of these takedowns. He's got lots of ground transitions once the fight does go to the ground. He's never in one spot, but he's moving constantly. We see that's a good way to rack up points, it's just these, these quick scrambles. If this goes into four and five, and all of a sudden Davidson Figueredo starts getting tired, and Moreno puts his pressure on him, you know, was training in Denver, moved his camp from Denver to Mexico City, which is actually higher up, more altitude. Cardio's not a problem. Durability's not a problem. Young, hungry, striking, improving, not on Davidson's level, but if he just keeps bringing that fight to him and can edge him out, and if you're playing a cash game, honestly, Brendan Moreno, if he gets four or five rounds and loses the decision, he'd be a good cash game play still because he, he still figures to rack up some points in, in, en route to a, to a loss just based on some of his work. Uh, Tony Ferguson, again, he's been a DKK dream through his career. Charles Oliveira, if he wins, 
He's going to score big. You're going to want one side of this one way or the other. Uh, Tony Ferguson at 8,600. Charles Oliveira at 7,600. Whatever side you got, I got Tony Ferguson. So over three rounds, it's going to be over 100 significant strikes. Maybe he shoots some takedowns. I don't think he will. He's not much of an offensive wrestler. But just keep the fight standing. Chip away at this guy. Either knock him out late or, uh, or if it does go to the decision, he's going to have the output. Charles Oliveira, meanwhile, he's a finishing machine. I can see it that way as well. Yeah, my problem with Oliveira, though, is if he doesn't get, like, Ferguson is durable when it comes to taking strikes. And if he doesn't get the submission, like, he, I mean, the guy's never, I'm just scrolling through, never registered over 100 significant strikes in any of his fights in his career. So I don't uh, know if he doesn't if he doesn't get if Oliveira doesn't get a submission I I don't see how he ends up being a great play to be perfectly honest. I mean you can't call a guy again we talked about it earlier in the show it's just like well man what what's his heart like what's his like ability to like persevere through bad spots and this and that it's like yeah he's definitely overcome it he's definitely made strides but all of his pro losses have been the same shit like the paul felder fight he's styling on paul he tries a few submissions i saw as soon as paul pops his head out and starts pounding on with elbow he's done he doesn't want it the ricardo lamas fight doesn't want it the anthony pettis fight he's winning he's about to win against anthony pettis bullshit guillotine choke attempt charles getting tired yeah he didn't want it anymore max holloway fight he he uh fakes an esophagus tear just because he didn't want to be there anymore the Cup Swanson fight, remember that? He got punched in the face, turned around, thought about it, and then just crumbled face down. Just like, nah, I don't really want to be here anymore. Jim Miller fight with the knee bar. Like, it's a whole, it's all of his losses. Now, the thing is, all of his losses, he's won seven in a row. So, he might not be that guy anymore. But if anybody's going to turn you into that guy, it's Tony, right? Mm-hmm. So, for that reason, yeah, you're going to want exposure. I'm thinking Tony's side. Fazaya nice, uh, versus Moicano. And this, this goes back to what we were saying before, right? So let's say you got Rafael. He's the favorite. He's such a murderous striker. Oh, man, looks so good. So his, his win over Alex White two fights ago, he scored 68 points. He was $8,900, but he's, he put up 68 points. That's not good. Nope. The fight with Mark Casey. oh, he looks so good in that fight. Killed Casey. It's 83 points. It was worth it in that spot because he was only 7,700, but he's not. He's 8,400 here, and he doesn't figure. Mark Casey and Hunt is not Hanato Moicano. So the 8,400 on Fazayev is not worth it unless he gets the knockout. He's given us no indication so far that he's going to come out here and be some murderous power puncher, move on from that. Moicano, Moicano's got the real flip side. He's only $7,800. If he wins, it's going to be 80 points for sure. He's got the output. He's got a wrestling advantage. He's got a grappling advantage. He could submit him. Uh, I think there's a lot to like out of Hamanto Moicano. As we talked about, he's one of my underdog plays as far as money line goes and as far as DK goes. He's one of these guys that I think um, if he scores, it's going to be high upside. Only $7,800 worth a look. Kevin Holland with Jacare. If Jacare is washed, he's still really durable, man. Like Guys don't exactly go out there and put this cat away. He's so durable that Kevin Holland, 82, is going to get relative to that. But if you're looking for a big GPP score, a guy that's going to go put up a tremendous amount of points, maybe Holland's not your guy. Flip side to that with Jacare, he's only 8,000. If he just neutralizes Holland with a couple takedowns and doesn't finish it, it's not going to be the highest scoring affair. Gets the win, sure, that's all well and good. But he could submit him. He could potentially submit him. That would be high scoring. I'm going to personally look on a pass for this fight. I don't think it's going to be the highest drafting score. Gagne versus Dos Santos, same thing. I got Cyril Gagne, 9,200. I think this is going to go overs. I don't think he's going to knock him out. If he does knock him out, it's going to be in the third round, and there's not going to be enough uh, body of work in between there to get up to the 9,200. With Junior... It, listen, if he wins and it is a knockout, the 7,000 would be good. But like, I think this kid's too young, too mobile, stays to the outside. 
Junior looked really gun shy his last couple of fights. Mind you, wouldn't anybody fighting that who's who of just the absolute best guys of the division? Yeah, yeah, they probably would too. But it did look like you know his reflex is starting to catch up with him a little bit. Pineda is absolutely live with Cub Swanson because this is going to be a violent, violent, violent fight. Flip side to that, Cub's probably also live against Daniel Pineda. I just think Pineda's got a little more left in the tank at this stage of his career, and then he pulls it over for Cub Swanson. Eighty-three hundred dollars, good enough for me. Mackenzie Dern, pass on that. Even if she does get the victory, she's very low output for the most part. Jandra Nova, if she wins, it's going to be a lot of neutralizing Dern. Dern's mm -hmm. not going to submit her, not going to knock him out, go to the decision. At seventy-five hundred, if she wins, cool, good, would like that. Yeah, cage work, staying out of trouble, that type of thing. Control, I agree. Control, but not getting into like full out get grappling position. She's not going to sub Dern. Like I'd be very surprised by that. Now people are always like, "Oh, Cody says Billy's his, his guy because uh, Billy Q just you know won so many money line tickets for him." It's just like, "Yeah, but have you ever tried playing this guy in DraftKings as well? Because it has been awesome." You know, the Kilburn fight he puts up one thirty nine. The Carlisle fight he's neutralized for most of that fight. He's getting taken down and held. 76 points, man. Still pretty good. And then uh, the, the Kyle Nelson fight, again, 105 points. Like, he doesn't tire. He keeps putting it on you. This is another good spot for Billy where him and Gavin Tucker are going to fight at a high pace. Whoever wins this fight is getting 100. I think Billy's going to win this fight, and therefore I think he's going to get 100. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's only 8,500 bucks, so it seems like that's the play. His, his average is 106.3. Again, he's 3-0 in the UFC, so it's just like a small pint-sized portion. But, uh, but this is the kind of fight that should allow him to kind of continue that. Tisha Torres versus Sam Hughes. Tisha's a decision fighter. She's low output. If it was a better price than the 8900 I'd consider it. But because I think it's going to go to the decision and be mostly striker versus striker, count me out on, on either side of that one. Spivak versus Vandera is low-key, probably going to want some exposure on this one. But just like we talked about the Parker Porter fight, right, it ends up going to decision because once they both got tired, they're just not all that good. And then John Vellante versus Jake Collier. Well, it, it actually ends up going to decision because once they both got tired, just for that good. Collier scored bigly, though, in that spot. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping Vandera, you know, goes out there. It's a competitive first round. And then in the second, you know, he's got good cardio, actually. He's been five rounds twice in his career. Once he got finished by that fifth-round Kimura. And one time, I want to say, let me just check this real quick. I think he won a five-round decision. So he's been into five-round fights. It looks like his MO is get shit kicked early. Yeah, yeah, so he went five rounds as well in that Andrew Van Zyl split decision in, in EFC Africa. So his MOs kind of get shit-kicked and then stick around a little bit too long and then bring it back on you and start to take around some of those later rounds. If that's the case and he ends up TKO and speed back in the second or third round, then he, yeah, he would be a big score. But I could see this go the other way as well, where it's a lot of like them holding, a lot of cage control, a lot of you know in the clinch grappling. Eventually one guy gets a takedown. Whoever gets a takedown is key, right? Because the mm -hmm. other guy's probably not mobile enough, doesn't have the hips to just explode back to his feet. But that's a problem, right? And the last thing I want to say on that one is, is with Spivak versus Tai Tuivasi, remember that? Spivak takes him down six times in the first round with the w shittiest takedowns you have ever seen. But it's Tai Tuivasi. He can't wrestle at all. His wrestling is not that good. And if he fails to take down Vandera, that's going to be a problem. If he does take down Vandera and Vandera gets back up, it's going to be a problem. So as far as DraftKings goes, it's like, yeah, he's one of these heavyweights that could potentially go off and score a decent amount. He's only $7,400. You got a knockout on his contender series fight. Would have been, if it was a you know, a DraftKings event, would have been a high-scoring fight. Who knows? You could do worse. With Speedback 8,800, actually count me out on that. I, I would want no exposure on that. Hooper figures to win this fight by submission. So at 9,300, hey, not bad. But like I, I'm, I'm out on that as well. 
And Pete Barrett, if he was going to spring the upset at 6,900, yeah, do exactly what Bruce Leroy did. I think Bruce Leroy might have been 6,900 as well when he fought Chase Hooper. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, yeah, yeah, go out there and, and, and spring the upset. I just don't know if Pete's that guy. So I, I'm out on that one as well. I would probably hit a pass. Again, when you when you check out, you know, most expensive guys to least expensive guys, then Hooper pops out right at the top of the list. And he's one of those guys I would comfortably say, I don't want no exposure to him. Surreal Gagne is $9,200. I don't care for the exposure to him. Figueredo at 9000 He's such a finishing machine, but, like, I'm not fully sold on him. Tisha Torres at 8900 No. Spivak at 8800 No. Mackenzie Dern at 8700 No. I've got a lot of money. i got a lot of money on the table that I'm going to have Tony Ferguson, and I'm going to have Billy Carantillo, and I'm going to have Daniel Pineda, and all these mid-range guys that you want. Um they're all available, right? You don't even have to take someone who's super cheap just because those high-end plays. DK is reflective of the money line, right? So you could be a 10-to-1 favorite on the money line. I mean, but Hooper, Hooper by submission is, is a pick man. Like, people are going to pay up for Hooper. No, because everybody paid up for Hooper the last time, and they were all largely disappointed from him. And I don't think that they're all just going to be like, oh, yeah, no worries, kid. They're going to be like, yo, fuck that guy. That was that guy that showed up looking like he skipped out on math class to get here and then proceeded to get his ass beat down by a dude named Bruce Leroy. Like, come on, get out of here. Like, I I think that would be more likely the train of thought. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I I think Hooper needs to win one or two before he gets back in people's good books. All right, last thing before we go. I actually forgot to, to mention this off of the top. Pat put me on to this. Uh, Producer Matt is working on a best of show this year. Uh, So what what do you need to make it easier for you, Matt? So like we're looking for um, like your favorite moments of the year, whether it's me doing shoeys, Cody doing shoeys, Cody shaving off his mustache. Like what information do you need in the comment section of this video to? to help Matt find uh, all of the clips over the year here. So if you guys can just do me a huge favor and in the comments of this video or any future videos coming out for Dogger Pass, just your favorite moments. Leave me the episode, uh, what fight it was, and leave me a time code and I'll go in and do it. And maybe I'll give you something special if you give me enough stuff. Maybe. Ah. We'll find out. Maybe something special. Enticing. Ooh, something special. Everyone likes something special. All right, that is it for us this week. Um, Hopefully it's very special, and hopefully it's more than a maybe. And if they don't give you something, I'll give you something special. Not necessarily all of you, just one We're just leaving that open Somebody's going to get something. Somebody's going to get something. But, uh, yeah, that would be, you know, all the time that we put into this stuff – your favorite moments. I imagine it's going to be Cody drinking out of boots, me drinking out of boots. I mean, the mustache uh, removal when you got the Habir, that's got to be an all-timer right there. So the follow-up episode of or after UFC or Khabib's last fight, I imagine that one's going to be in the mix. That was my favorite moment of the year. But yeah, anyway, um, that more or less wraps it up th- this week for us. Cody, what do you have uh, coming down the pipe here? I got a PRP right now coming down the pipe, Paul. And right. I got a bone to pick. I got a bone to pick. With me? Nope, no, nope, no. You're good. Okay. Uh, with UFC matchmaking. I know it's Sean Shelby. I know it's Mick Maynard. I honestly think these guys don't give up anymore. So they're probably got like some intern also helping out. Um, but like who in their right mind 
would match up a fight of Cub Swanson versus Daniel Pineda. And then subsequently, within the exact same time frame, book a fight of Nate Landwehr versus Movzar Ivoev. Like, how fucking stupid could you be to not put Cub Swanson and Nate Landwehr in a cage? And your flip side to that is Daniel Pineda versus Movzar Ivoev would still be pretty fun, man. You're getting the greatest fight of all times in a pretty good fight. Instead, it's like, yo, these guys that just want to bang and put on an entertaining show, like, yeah, let's smother them with BJJ black belts who just want to get the fight to the ground. Like, what is going on? Anyways, hit you with the PRP. I'm going to take some heat on this one, but I'm going to take Brandon Moreno. What? Uh, actually, okay, okay, talk me out of this. This is your, your call quick before I go through. I, got, I think Moreno's worth a shot. Should I put Davidson on all my parlays then, knowing that if I get unscathed, I don't think you should event, put somebody. I'm of the. Up, on Moreno, I would I never like see me and I. I think about this. I would never put somebody who I think is going to lose on a parlay. But he's the main event, so but if it gets that far, and I'm, I'm always hoping that we're going to get that far, and he's on tickets, it's a very easy play to now say, I'm not going to let this one ride. I like Brandon Moreno, and he's plus two fifty. I and mean, I can, it's I such think an easy you, head when you're plus money, right? I think you probably are going to get a better price as the week rolls along here. Okay, let me, let, me, let me put it to you like this. Let's say I put Brandon Moreno on my PRP, okay? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, it's still intact. And he's got this thing juiced up to the tits. And it's going to be a big payoff. How do I hedge out of that? I can't hedge out of Davidson Figueredo. He's he's a minus three fifty. Uh, I don't and know. He's the I'm last not, fight on I'm the not, card. I can't. I effectively can't hedge out of my bet. I I'm just have to let the, it roll. The eleven fight parlay expert here. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna stick to my guns. But I'll admit, I've <laughs> been trying to, to do Bellator. Man, this is tell you. I know. I, the people, I, 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 the people I, I are Brandon here Marino. for your I'm PRP. I'm taking Brandon Moreno. I'm taking. I'm taking Brandon Moreno. Dog number one. Wow. We're gonna go Tony Ferguson. Hanato Moicano's dog number two. Uh, Jacques Array is even money. Cyril Gagne, uh, Daniel Pineda, Verna Jandranova is going to be dog number three. Jared Vander is going to be dog number four. Chase Hooper, Billy Q, uh, Atisha Torres. That's not the official order. I just read it off best fight odds quickly. I just noticed that that's not the official fight order. But those are all the fights. If for whatever reason they add something on, uh, hit me up on Twitter. Weigh-in's obviously going to have to uh, have a good look-see at that. But uh, yeah, man. Follow you're gonna be me dropping on Twitter some... if you're not already, and I'll drop some Bellator shit tomorrow for sure. Right, That's what I'll, I'm gonna do tonight. I'll be tonight on the I'm lookout. I'll be on the lookout for those belly, those belly picks too. They've been hot fire. Yeah, well, Bellator seems way more straightforward than the UFC, just because it's like it's always one high level guy against one low level guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So without doing one lick of tape study, I would say that. McFarland's obviously a live underdog, but let's say you just pass on that women's MMA fight. Magomed Magomedov should get this victory here. Uh, Goiti Yamauchi, he's a too big of a favorite, but he should have lose. Uh, he got, he got, uh, that fight's been canceled. That's off. Yeah, Bonnie Goiti Marquez? missed by seven and a half pounds, and they canceled the fight. Oh, wow. Okay. What did Honey Marcus weigh in at? Because let me tell you, bud, he's been training with Spivak and Francis Ngannou, and oh, he looks fat. I, mean, I, I didn't. I didn't see the whole weigh-ins. Tough. I only saw that Goiti's fight is off. I saw that on. Yeah, but you earlier. don't want you. You don't bet Linton Vassell at three forty. He's a little bit older and he's a little uh, more untrustworthy. This Romero Cotton guy should get the win. Shamil Nakayev should get the win. Uh, this Davian Franklin. Your, this Cody Law. Cody Law is your bet of the entire weekend, right? He's minus four eighty-five right now. He's going to go off at ten. 
12 to 1 probably. Ah, that's that's too much. He's going to go off at 8, 9 to 1. He's absolutely going to fucking kill Kenny Champion. Okay. And it's going to be it's going to be a good time for everybody. So, he's, so if you're going to make a UFC parlay, you're going to put this guy on it. Or Hammer City uh, on Magomedov. Gracie Jr. at 515 is a bum bet. You don't take that one. And um, Grant Neal at 675. He's too big. He's too big of a price tag. So I'll make you some sweet up parlays for tomorrow. Um, I'm actually probably going to try to get on them tonight just because Cody Law is your best pick. And I, I would rather put him on the parlay tonight than tomorrow when he's 10 to 1 and doesn't add anything to it. But if he you're listening opened- right now... He's your Easter egg pick of the week. He opened at 350. He's already down to 485. And I know with these belly these belly picks, he'll be minus 700, minus 800 by the time we get to fight time. Once once people start jumping on on the ship, right? Let's tell Yeah, he's a former state wrestling champion. He's a two-time All-American out of Pennsylvania uh, State. He trains an American top team. He was undefeated as an amateur. He made his debut for Bellator and absolutely crushed the guy with a Darce joke. He was a minus 385 favorite came in and just absolutely decimated him, and it was like the absolute pick. Uh, whereas Kenny Champion, you know, he's a, he was a 5-4 and four amateur. He's fun. His two pro wins, Ian Batiz. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Ian Batiz, um, who I know personally, by the way. And Raymond Yanez, who's 5-19. and 19. Ian Batiz also, his pro record currently is 1-4, and four, but I, I knew him back from his amateur days. And in his amateur days, he was 11-15. and 15. So like that's they they're bringing in this guy Kenny Champion who I, I've seen him fight live before back in like a regional scene days amateur Ryan Donnelly fought in the same circuit he's gonna get fucking killed right so he's a, minus four eighty five is a big price tag don't get me wrong but like yeah that's just like parlay stuff you just tie that in with with whatever else you like man all right that is it for us this week hope you enjoyed the show for Cody Safdick and uh, Matt Best I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.